0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Uh, I had the privilege of being at a courthouse on Thursday, and uh, as we were walking out of the court—well, let me tell you why I was there. <laughs> let me just clarify a couple things. Um, we, uh, we had the privilege of witnessing Geo become Geo Cannon, Marcus Geo Cannon. It was a phenomenal privilege to be there, but as we were walking out, um, I was just looking at, at the faces of some of the people and realizing wow, courts are like hospitals. Um, my wife's a doula, and so most of the time she's involved in one of the most amazing things you can be involved in, which is new life. Uh, But we also know that in hospitals, um, people are dying. And uh, in courts, we are celebrating the adoption of geo. But there's also some really hard and difficult things that are happening. I was just thinking about church being very similar. Um, There are people that walked in this morning with a sense of real joy and celebration with stuff that's happening in their lives. And then there are people that are carrying some heavy things. And one of the challenges is like, I don't know that I'm in the right place. No, you are in the right place. Um, This is a place where we can join you in your celebration and walk with you in your pain. Um, And so even just this morning, having spoken to a number of people that are super excited about something and also just dealing with some grief. So welcome. We are, after a little break, continuing our series called Reimagine Resilience and how the cross of Jesus Christ both shapes and strengthens us. We've been looking at the idea of why resilience is important, and we've developed this definition of resilience. And the definition of resilience is the ability to joyfully adapt, recover, and re-engage quickly without distorting your view of self, or God, or His people. We've already talked about the building blocks of resilience when it comes to failures, when it comes to suffering, and two weeks ago, Sean did self-awareness and emotional regulation. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about reimagining self-care. It was a couple of weeks ago, I, um, I have this, um, this habit, and I go for a prayer walk with my little earphones in. And because I'm not a poser, I don't have Apple iPods. So... Um, <laughs> So I was walking with them, I I had my weight vest on, and so what I do is I I walk and pray for 10 minutes, and then I do 25 push-ups, and I do that, and then I've got to be home before 59 minutes, so to the park and back. And then um, in my ears, it's saying, battery, low, battery, low. It's really quite annoying, right, When when you're trying to listen to worship music. So those of you that know me, what do you think I did? Right, right. I did not buy iPods. I thought there's only one solution to your battery being low, you walk faster. So I walked faster because I was trying to make it home before the battery died, right? That is, that is my, my posture. I'm, t- I'm telling you something about my soul. I started in 2015 a masters in soul care and spiritual formation. And the first week I was mowing the lawn with my weight vest on and listening to a book, an audio book, on how to slow down and be intentional, right? <laughs> this is not necessarily an area of huge strength for me. Um, there are certain rhythms and areas that I feel like I'm good at. I feel like the rhythm of Sabbath and the rhythm of vacation. But the idea of self-care doesn't come naturally to me. I've had to learn um, to recognize and practice the idea of limits, and it comes very unnatural, unnaturally to me. But one thing we know is that spiritual formation is the formation of an embodied soul. And now you're not a body with a spirit, and you're not a spirit that is housed in a body, you are an embodied soul. your mind, your heart and your spirit are one thing. Now, this is the most amazing thing. There is a divine element to our embodiment if you're a Christ follower. Because if you're a Christ follower, it isn't just the fact that your heart, your mind, and your body are embodied into one being, your soul, but you have the spirit of God that is living in you that is also part of that embodiment. That's why soul care in and of itself, and self-care particularly, cannot just be about one thing. That's why the idea of caring for ourselves is a much broader and holistic topic. Courtney Reisig says this, soul care without self-care treats the body, or even the personality, as a shell that houses the more important part of ourselves. It misses the reality of the brokenness of this world and the real ways it affects our bodies. Too much emphasis on self-care, though, makes our ultimate happiness about our physical, and I add, and emotional needs being met. But we know from Scripture that physical sacrifice is part of the Christian life. Self-care, like soul care, must serve a greater purpose that doesn't just culminate in our needs being met. Now, we know that self-care is purposeful. We're looking at it as a building block of resilience. It's not an end in and of itself. We also know that Jesus calls us to a life of self-denial. He called his apprentices then, and he calls us now. Uh, A life that is full and abundant, but a life that also means the carrying of your cross and the denying of yourself. However, if we do not learn to care for ourselves, we will not have a self to deny. So if we don't learn to care for the self that is being shaped by Jesus, we will not have a self to deny. As a pastor, I'm, I'm afraid of topics like this um, because it can seem indulgent, but I'm also not control, not in control of the outcome. That's awesome. We don't have to do anything. We just get to choose to do what we want. And I feel this tension even as I was preparing this week. Sean mentioned two weeks ago the drunk man that Martin Luther quoted, uh, that, that all of history is like a drunk man trying to get onto one side of the horse He falls off on the one side, and then he gets up on the other and falls off. And what does he do? He blames the horse. He doesn't realize that he's falling off because he's drunk. And we we tend to swing the pendulum. And I know that in this room, there are people that struggle with the idea of actually taking time to care for themselves. And there are people that, quite happy, live in the paradise of what I call self-love instead of self-care. And so before we engage, I want to pray so that the Spirit of God can do what He needs to do and bringing those into together. Spirit of God, I want to thank you that this is not just a simple exchange of information. I want to pray, Father God, that as we uh, walk through your Word, uh, that you would enable me to create a context for the Spirit of God to bring change, encouragement, and healing. I want to pray that we would listen to the voice of your Spirit as he speaks through your word to the church in Jesus' name. So this morning, we're going to look at four ideas. We're going to look at the fact that self-care is actually a building block of resilience. We're going to see how self-care differs from being a lover of self. We're going to see how self-care actually helps to fuel self-denial. And we're going to see how self-care is not actually self-care. So self-care is a building block of resilience. Two weeks ago, Sean introduced us to probably one of the most complex men in Scripture called Elijah, um, and he told us the story of Elijah's massive victory over the prophets of Baal and how he basically not only embarrassed them and showed them up, but I, don't, I can't remember if Sean got to the point of where Elijah actually killed all of them, um, and he got rid of all of them, and there was this great victory Um, And then this woman who is married to Ahab says to Elijah, okay, what you did to those prophets, so help me God if I don't do that to you. Um, And instead of saying, hey man, I just dealt with a whole bunch of prophets of Baal, God is clearly with me, bring your worst, he runs away like a terrified child. And in verse 3, we pick up of 1 Kings 19, it says, Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. And he arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. He himself, now he's alone, went farther on into the desert for a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush, and he longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life, because I'm no better than my ancestors. He laid down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly a messenger, which we know to be an angel, tapped him and said to him, get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes, and he saw flatbread baked on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank, and then he went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said. I want you to hear this. Eat because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Eat because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Elijah got up, ate and drank, and went refreshed by that food for 40 days and nights. That had to be a lot of flatbread and water to sustain him for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. Here he is, depressed, suicidal, dramatic, and faithless. And he calls out to God, and God doesn't feed his soul necessarily, but feeds his body says to him, get up, eat something. How many of you, my wife says, I, I just wish that someone would tell me, hey, you need to eat and you, go for, you need to go for a nap, you know? And parents, right, we, we have this weird thing with our kids when they really don't want it. You've got, to, you've got to eat right now and you've got to sleep. Whereas with teenagers, it's like enough with the eating and enough with the sleeping, right? <laughs> and it's interesting to me that there are There is a sense in which we could say, well, God, why didn't you minister to his spirit? Why didn't you show a burning bush? Why didn't you give him a vision? Why didn't you feed his spirit in that moment? Because in that moment, that's not what he needed. God has done that throughout Elijah's life, but in that moment, that's not what he needed. Diet, exercise, rest, and margin are things that we all need. However, these things are also unique and so I can't give you a list of what proper self-care is. I can't give you a, a kind of um, kind of matrix to make sure that you're covering all four elements of your body, soul, spirit, and mind. Um, I can't do that because there are certain things, like I said, that we need to rest, we need to take care of our bodies, that we need to take care of our minds. But there's also things that are unique. And in Paul's letter to Timothy, uh, he gives him quite some unique self-care advice. Paul says to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use this little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, Paul understood something that was happening in Timothy's life. Now, those of you that are wanting to rush out and get some wine for your frequent ailments and your stomach, this this is unique to Timothy. This is Paul saying, Timothy, I know that you're struggling in this area. And so what I recommend is that you care for your body in this way. One of the massive things that we need as a community is Paul's to come alongside us and say, hey man, I think you need this. I think this is an area of your self-care that you could actually engage in because this is unique to you. We don't all need to take wine. We are so massively different. My wife and I are massively different in terms of what feeds our souls. This is my wife right here, this slide. People who say go big or go home seriously underestimate my willingness to go home. It's like literally my only goal. That, like, that's what Karen wants. I said, babe, it's your night tonight. What do you want? She says, I want pajamas, in and out, and I want to lie on the couch. And I'm like, can I be there? Yes, but you can't talk, you know? We have, Our souls are fed very, very differently. My soul is fed by competition, by activity, by people. Part of, my, part of my master's training was a three-week silent retreat. I want you to think about this. 21 days, okay, of not seeing anyone except a kind of weird therapist that would talk to me about what had happened in the days of nothingness, right? And I had so much anxiety going to him because of like, what happened? Like, dude, nothing happened. Like, I think you might be hiding. Well, show me where I'm hiding, dude, because nothing is happening, you know? There was a point during that 21-day retreat where my ears started ringing, and I was convinced that I had an ear problem. Part of it was my body just readjusting to the fact that there was literally no noise. It was completely silent. So in a panic, because my cell phone has been taken away now, I don't have a cell phone, and I can use this phone in the house for emergencies. In a panic, I call him and I say, man, my ears are ringing, he says, that's normal. I'm like, that's normal? (laughs) He says, yes, it's your body adjusting itself to the fact that there's no noise. And I'm like, wow, I don't realize how interconnected my body was to my spirit. I was talking to another pastor the other day, and we were talking about forgiveness. And I said to him, do you know what what tells me that I haven't forgiven someone is my Fitbit. Because when I talk to that person, my heart rate actually goes up. And my Fitbit says, I've started exercising. It's a betrayer, this thing, (laughs) on my wrist. I realize that, I go home, and it says, oh, you did some exercise between such and such a time and such and such a time. No, I wasn't. I was in a meeting, and my heart was pumping. And I'm like, wow, God, no, I've got some work to do. I've got to access your grace to be able to, even though I, I say mentally that I've forgiven, even though I desire to have forgiven what is clear, Because my Fitbit has betrayed me, I have not. Because my body is saying, next something is happening. Pay attention to that. Self-care is important. We need to plan and practice rest, delight, repair, and recalibration. I'm very good at planning these things. I'm an excellent planner of rest, delight, repair, and recalibration. I have my rule of life nicely set up. I have my Sabbath, I have my rest, recreation, the, the other two words are the words that I struggle with, to plan and participate in those things. Self-care is not the same as being a lover of self. and Being a lover of self is literally the Bible's definition of sin. It's the root of how sin manifests in our hearts depending on our nature, personality, and context. Because Paul, the same guy who's talking to Timothy about caring for himself, in his second letter says this to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty because people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, I really like that one, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man, that whole list comes from lovers of self. That's a broad and varied list, but the root of it is lovers of self. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, I know what most of you are going to say, but but Nick, Jesus said that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so our focus is to love ourselves so that we can love our neighbor. That is not what Jesus is telling us in that statement. Jesus is not telling us that we need to raise our level of self-love because he's rightly assuming that we don't need any help to focus on our needs and our wants. He's rightly assuming that the way in which we care for ourselves is paramount in our minds, and he's asking us to shift that to our neighbor, to our wife, to our children, to our co-workers, the way in which everything is orbed around me, the way in which I'm loving myself, to bring that orb to include other people. Because the challenge is this. If we don't deal with the, um, w- with the brokenness in our heart and this desire to want to love ourselves instead of self-care, we will participate in self-soothing. And self-soothing will lead to deeper levels of self-love, and self-love in the negative sense. Now, you've heard me say this before, that your emotions are like lights on the dashboard, right? How many of you guys have had that little light come on the dashboard, the little engine light? Now, what you need is you need someone to tell you what that is, because it can vary. I've had that light come on, and basically, the gas cap has not been put on correctly. I would say, can we get a different one? Because that is like just, that's a tiny little thing, right? That's, a, that's an easy adjustment. I've also had that light come on when my cylinder has been misfiring. Come on, man, you could have a different light. The one is not serious, the other one is very serious. The one I can fix myself, the other one I cannot fix myself. I need help. I need someone else to help me engage in this. Because what we do is we just assume that if we're doing this ourselves, that it's a deep problem, because we don't know any better, or we just think, oh, it's nothing. We'll just apply a superficial solution here. And part of the challenge, again, is like I said, that we need to understand that our dominant sense is to protect ourselves, and our dominant sense is to love ourselves, to invite other people in, to actually say, help me to care for myself in a way that doesn't make me a lover of self. We got that? Self-care ultimately fuels self-denial. So Jesus, we know, prioritized rest for himself. We also know that Jesus prioritized care and rest for his disciples. However, rest and care was not the purpose that Jesus called his disciples to him. He didn't call his disciples to him and say, come and I will make you restful. He said, come and I will make you fishes of men. So there's a sense in which self-care is purposeful and we want to be with Jesus to be cared for his sons and daughters, but there is a greater joy in that In that the healthier we are, the more glory we can bring to Him by the way in which we joyfully and purposefully engage in life. So in Mark 6, verse 7, He sends His apostles out and He gives them a pretty clear and austere mandate. He says, I want you to go out, and I want you to preach the good news, and I don't want you to take a shirt, I don't want you to take an extra uh, tunic, I want you to walk into someone's house, and if they, um, if they invite you in, and you can stay there, you can say, peace be with you. If they don't invite you in, then you just shake the dust off your feet, and I want you to go and preach. And they come back, and they, and they say, man, this was amazing. They come back, and they report back to Jesus, and we pick this up in Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything that they had done and taught. Now, many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. There was no time to feed themselves. And he said to the apostles, come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. They departed in a boat by themselves for a deserted place. And many people saw them leaving and recognized them, so they ran ahead from all the cities and arrived before them. So all the people that were there, Jesus was saying, okay, these guys have come, it's been a really intense time, we haven't had time to eat, let's get in the boat, let's go across to that side so that we can have some, some solitary time together, and the people saw them and ran along the coast and got there before them. Okay, that's some, that's some intensity there, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, man, if I'm seeing this as the disciples, I'm like, Why don't we just pull a U-turn? I mean, you know, we could be doing this the whole day. They're the ones that are running. We're in the boat, you know. Anyway, that's for free. (laughs) But when he arrived, he saw the large crowd and he had compassion on them. This is Jesus, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. His first thought was not, I told these guys they could rest. They haven't eaten yet. His first thought was like, man, these are sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, this is an isolated place and it's already late in the day. Send them away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat for themselves. Now most of us have heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and some of us think the disciples were just annoyed, that they were hangry, right? That there's this, this sense in which, no, just, just tell him we've had enough now, just tell him to go away. The disciples were saying, no, there's no food for them here. So the compassion that Jesus had was actually mirrored in in the disciples. They're not saying send them away because we're tired. They're saying send them away because there's nothing for them to eat here. I'm sure, I'm sure. There was a little bit of the thing, hey, we've just come back. You told us we were going to rest, and now all these people are here. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, but should we go off and buy bread worth almost eight months of pay and give it to them to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? You know why I love that story? Because someone was thinking about their stomach when they got into that boat. Because someone was thinking about self-care. They had five loaves and two fishes. Someone was already thinking, we need to eat. Eating is part of what we need to do. And so there was this sense of actually saying, no, we're going to take care of this. I can imagine the conversations. You know, we have five loaves, two fishes, and Peter always eats more than his share. You know what I mean? If, if we're going to divide this up, then let's make sure that Judas doesn't divide it up. You know, we'll divide it up. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. We can only give what we have. That's true. And that's why self-care is so important. But sometimes we look at ourselves and we underestimate what it is that we have. And Jesus is saying, put it in my hands and watch me multiply it. Put it in my hands and have compassion for these people that have run from one side to the other because they're desperate for spiritual food and they also need physical food. Now, I want to maybe give you some helpful questions to try and define the difference between self-care and self-indulgence. Because we, I think we all agree that it is necessary. I'm saying it is necessary. Jesus modeled it. Jesus preached it. The disciples showed us how to do it. The apostles mirrored that. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Is this rhythm feeding my flesh Or is it feeding my soul? And how would I know the difference? Is my Netflix binge a form of self-care? It could be. Is an extra cocktail sitting there and coming up with a new crazy um, recipe? When Matt and Shannon were here, we made a cocktail and they taught us how to clarify it. Those guys are super bougie, you know? And so we had a raspberry cocktail that looked like water, you know. That was fun. Not my thing, you know what I mean? That's a lot of energy um, <laughs> to put into like just one drink. But I mean, that was, that was fun for them, you know. Now, I, what I'm asking is, would you know the difference and would you allow someone else to speak into that? To actually be able to say, Nick, I think this is feeding your flesh more than it's feeding your soul. Would we allow that? do I see this rhythm as interruptible or do I see this as an inflexible right? And Do you remember Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees about the Sabbath? Remember what Jesus said about the Sabbath? The Sabbath wasn't, man wasn't designed for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was designed for man. And so he's telling the Pharisees, the way that you are putting these hard boundaries on the Sabbath is, is not good. And besides, which one of you during the Sabbath If your calf or your donkey falls in a hole, I'm not going to help it get out. And so the question is, are your rhythms interruptible? When you are on your way to spend time in self-care, whatever that is for you, and you see the crowd running on that side, do you just do this? Or do you just say, Jesus, help me to have compassion on them? Now, we have to have rhythms for a reason. They can't always be interruptible because then they're not rhythms, right? But there does need to be a sense where we can say, no, this is flexible. If I have someone that has a need or a a single person that needs some time or affection because they don't have anywhere else to go during this time, is my rhythm interruptible? Can I invite them into that space? Now, this is a hard one. My wife said I shouldn't have said this, but I'm going to say it. Do I love others as intentionally as I create moments of self-care for myself? Do I love others as intentionally as I create moments of self-care for myself? Now, hear me clearly, we need to do that. And I'm just saying the idea, the amount of intensity and investment and engagement that we have for ourselves and for our family around the issue of self-care do we have that same intensity and investment around caring for others in our community? Does self-care include things that come easy for me and also things that I know are good for me? Silence and solitude as an example for me. But God spoke to me with this battery low thing. One of the things that I didn't say is, one of the ladies in our church came by and asked me why I was mowing the lawn with a bulletproof vest on. and I said, no, it's not a bulletproof vest on, it's a weight vest. Um, and so I get to exercise, and I get to mow the lawn, and I get to listen to a book at the same time. And she said to me, why? What <laughs> was a stupid question. <laughs> it was stupid because I couldn't answer it. I felt stupid. There's no, there's no, I slow down. Nick, you can do one thing at a time. That actually is what you need to focus on for self-care. You need to slow it down. You need to go on a walk that is just a walk. You go for exercise, it's just exercise. You go to engage Karn for just engaging carn, Not all three things at once. I'm working on it. How many of us see the issue of forgiveness as self-care? When God says, Nick, I want to care for you, And in caring for you, I just want to bring up the fact that I don't think you've forgiven this person. Because you're a prisoner until you can set that person free in forgiveness. Now most of the time when we talk about forgiveness, there is the sense in in the fact that we are commanded to forgive. We are. We pray the, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we forgive others. But it's a much bigger picture than that. And God is saying, my son... It's not good for you to live in unforgiveness. It will rot your soul. And so part of self-care is being able to forgive others. Part of self-care is being able to pray for your enemies. Because when there's this, when there's this vitriol and poison in you, it's hard for the Spirit of God to bring care and release and openness. And sometimes in those times of silence and solitude, and he brings those up, And you can see it as actually God is caring for me and I'm caring for myself by engaging in this. I do want to say this. We've spoken about the ability of us being able to recognize wounds and sin. And we've said this before. Wounds are things that we need to access healing from and sins are things that we need to repent of. Part of the challenge in our modern day life is that we try to go to therapy for sins and we try and repent of wounds. Now, The same is true in terms of self-care. Sometimes we try and self-care out of sin. And actually all we're doing is self-soothing. And sometimes we try and self-deny our wounds. And we try and charge on regardless. And the invitation of the Holy Spirit is like you cannot care yourself out of sin. You need to experience the joy of repentance knowing that God, just like the Father, is standing, waiting for you to take one step and runs towards you. But we also can't self-deny ourselves out of wounds. God, I, I, I don't believe I did anything here. I was wounded in this, I was hurt. I've tried to own my stuff, but I know that there isn't more that I can own. I need you to bring healing. And sometimes that healing for me has come when I sat down with a friend and I said to him, I don't wanna talk church, I don't want to talk family, I want to talk Formula One, and I want to talk fantasy football. That's it. And I feel cared for. I feel cared for in that space. Not you, I know, but me. Am I honest in the establishing of my boundaries, or am I only limiting myself away from the things that are difficult, full of effort and sacrifice? These are hard questions, but these are so helpful because we, we are enabled, God enables us to avoid two serious errors when it comes to self-care, and the one is just not doing it, and we burn out through duty. We're motivated by duty and not joy. We're also motivated, motivated by the praise and recognition of others. And if you have no boundaries in your life, it shows that your value doesn't come from God, but it comes from what others think of you and how others experience you, if you have no boundaries. However, if you have inflexible routines and immovable boundaries that only exist for your comfort, convenience, and safety, then you're also not trusting God, you're trusting your boundaries. And so that's why we need the wisdom and grace and discernment of the Spirit of God to help us, God help me in this. And that is why self-care is not actually self-care. That is why we have a privilege that people who don't walk with Jesus have. That's why we have an advantage that people who don't walk with Jesus have. That's why we have the ability to step into self-care boldly knowing it's something God wants for us without it shriveling us into ourselves and becoming lovers of self. Now I know that self-care is intentionally caring and stewarding for your body, for your heart, and for your mind, but we are not doing this by ourselves. We started the series by saying that true resilience can only come by a deep abiding in Jesus. And we know, as I said at the beginning, that we are not just heart and mind and body, but we also have Jesus through the Holy Spirit living in us because we are the temple of God. And so we have an amazing ally when it comes to be able to identify what is self-love, what is self um, care, and how we can know the difference. Philippians two, again, Paul is saying to the church, God is the one who enables you to both want to and to actually live out his good purposes. True self-care is responding to his invitation for rest and delight and repair and recalibration. True relationship with God is being able to sit in His presence and saying, "God, what do I need right now? I think I know what I need. What do I need right now? Help me to identify. Do I need rest? Do I need to delight? Do I need some repair? Do I need to sit with someone to help me repair some of the things that have happened? Or do I need to bring recalibration to adjust my life? Because we're allowing His presence and His Word to shape what care for myself looks like. It's both in being empowered to act more Christ-like and also being aware that there is nothing that we can do that will ever, unless it is breathed by the Spirit of God, ever change the way we are able to interact with Him. It is his invitation, it is his power working in and through us that enables us to care for ourselves. Band, you can come up. Now Jesus did say, come and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus also did say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. But I want us to read that with fresh eyes this morning. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says... Jesus is speaking, and he says, Come to me, all of you who are struggling hard and carry heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Now, a lot of us know that portion of Scripture. Uh, a lot of us quote that portion of Scripture. It's, it's a phenomenal Scripture. However, I want to look at the, the part above that. The part immediately above that is Jesus is talking to Capernaum. And he is bringing judgment on Capernaum. And he's saying, woe to you. Woe to you. Because had you believed who was standing in front of you, it would be better for you. But you're going to suffer the same outcome as Sodom and Gomorrah. We have this picture of Jesus saying literally, woe to you. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum... Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained in this day. But I tell you that there will be more tolerance for the day of judgment for Sodom than for you. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of everything the law and the prophets spoke of. I'm standing here calling you to repent and you are denying that? There is a consequence for that. And then, and then, he says, at that time, he thanked the Father that no one comes to the Son except through the Father. And then he says, come to me. I want you guys to see that because we see the fullness of the Christ. We see the Christ that is declaring that he is God. We see the Christ that is declaring that unless there is a turning to Jesus and a turning away from our sin, that we will suffer the same consequence as those cities that had received the judgment of God. But he's pleading with them. He's saying, respond to me. He's saying to them, I'm standing in front of you. No one draws you unless the Father draws you. So respond. Come to me, all who, are, all who labor. Struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. He does not say, Look inside yourself. Now I know self examination and experiencing our emotions is something that's important to do, but we do it with him. That's why he says, Come to me. It's still a yoke, friends. It's still a yoke. It's still something that is purposeful and has a goal. But because Jesus is with us, it is easy and light. I don't know how Jesus can say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me for I'm gentle and humble. I'm like, did, did we see what just happened? Literally minutes before this. But he is gentle and he is humble. And his love and affection is for those cities saying, guys, you don't recognize what you're seeing. You're seeing freedom from your sins. You're seeing healing from the wounds that have been perpetrated against you. You're seeing the opportunity to be at peace with God and you're denying that. Come, come to me and find rest. A purposeful, Jesus-led self-care will never make us feel guilty or, or try to hide our rhythms of care or rest or boundaries because we find them in Him. Maybe this morning an angel is tapping you like he was tapping Elijah. Maybe this morning God through His Spirit is saying, I want you to experience a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As Sean said, it's Pentecost Sunday this morning. It's a Sunday that we celebrate the Spirit of God descending upon His church, empowering His church to be witnesses. That's what Jesus said. Wait in Jerusalem, you will receive my spirit and you will be rested and cared for. No, wait in Jerusalem and you will receive my spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That same promise is here for us today that angel might be tapping you. Do you need to pay attention to your rhythms? Are you feeding your soul, and, I mean your flesh instead of your soul? Are you not paying any attention to rest? Are you creating rhythms of delight in your life? Here's some bread. Get some water, take a nap. Could be that simple. Or maybe Jesus is asking for your bread. Maybe you've been in this a long time. You're saying, Jesus, I'm tired. You said we could rest. That's why I got into this boat. Had I gone into this boat knowing we were going to go I have to minister again, I wouldn't have gone into this boat again. And Jesus is saying, What do you have? let me show you something exhilarating and invigorating, because I'll take what you have and multiply it, and you'll be telling the story as they did throughout generations. We put it in Jesus' hands, he multiplies it, and he feeds people that are hungry and tired. Jesus humbled himself so that he could be intentional about knowing what our bodies felt like, what our emotions felt like, what our mind feels like. Jesus died to set us free from sin, but Jesus rose again and sent us a helper so that we could live a life that we are not able to manage. The goal of both self-care and self-denial is this, that others would taste and see that the Lord is good and they can only taste and see that the Lord is good if we are living in a way that shows people the Lord is good. Only Jesus has the capacity, the ability, and desire to care for you the way you deserve to be cared for. Not even you can do that. Not your husband, not your wife, not your friends, not your leaders. They can be used as tools, but only Jesus can deeply care for you because only Jesus died and rose again for you and for your sake. Let's pray. Father, I wanna thank you that you are acquainted with our weaknesses. I wanna thank you that we have deep confidence that the way that you're calling us to live is not impossible. I wanna thank you that our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, that we are deeply, deeply loved. I wanna thank you that it is your desire to care for us the way a father should care for his children. And I also want to thank you, God, that you've placed us in a community of care. And so I pray this morning for my brothers and sisters. I pray that as we respond to you, we would sense the tap of the Spirit of God. Just maybe exposing areas where we need to bring to you, areas where we've been battery low, Or maybe there are areas, God, where you want to challenge us with risk. Say, Nick, trust me. I am trustworthy. I am faithful. Spirit of God, won't you move? Won't you expose? Won't you heal? Won't you reveal? Won't you lead now in Jesus' name?
1: Thank you, Nick. We are, um, we're going to respond as is our custom to go to the table. Um, But before we do, I'd like to invite Tony up here. We are a church that believes that God speaks to us most clearly and consistently through his word, but we also believe in the gifts of the spirit. And we believe that God gives to each of us different things to share at different times. And I'd love for Tony to share kind of a picture that he saw and and a verse that goes with it.
2: So while Nick was speaking, I saw behind him a large stone. And um, Psalm 18 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And in Mark 637, Jesus says, come to me all who thirst and I will give unto you uh, to drink. And Jesus is the rock that Moses struck, and out of him pours rivers of living water. And I just get this sense that there may be some people here who need that refreshment. And so I want to encourage you to come to Jesus, who says, come to me, if you're thirsty, and drink, and I'll give you refreshment. Um, And I just want to pray real quick for those who might have this sense now, Lord, Pour, pour, living water out on those and bring refreshment to the souls of those who thirst now. We thank you that you are so near to us, that you care for our soul. Um, we draw near to you now, Lord, and we receive in your name.
1: We are, uh, there's a table in the back and there's two tables here to, to my left and to your right. Um, and there's going to be people to my to my left to your right that are also available to pray um, I want you to go ahead and go grab the elements and come back to your seat and uh, we'll go through communion together and then I want to give a couple of couple of people an op- opportunity to receive prayer so go ahead and grab the elements now and, and come back to your seat we, uh, we hold in our hands the, the, the bread and the, the bread and the cup and um, before, we, before we take it, I, you know, I, I really think that there may be people in here, just as Tony is saying, just need a fresh refreshment from the Lord. And uh, we come to this table. It's a tangible representation of the Jesus who knows the self he gave you, <laughs> uh, that we can come to him. This entire series, like that's why like we started off with the idea of union and connection to Christ and abiding. And uh, he is the rock. He is the, He is everything that we need. And it's him that starts all health and all good things. And But there's also times where the Lord comes along and he shows us an area of, of sin. And that can feel really scary. You hear the word repentance, you know. It's like, whoa. But it's a gift, actually. It is a gift. The idea to be able to repent, to, to turn, to, to come back, uh, is an opportunity to experience healing. And so if there's something that you, God has revealed to you that you just need prayer for, it is the, it's the goodness of God that reveals that. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And I would really encourage you to receive prayer for that uh, this morning. Um, but then there's maybe someone else here that identifies with something that Nick said where it's like, you know, you you can't just kind of deny yourself out of wounds. Um, sometimes there's people that just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to paper over that. I'm just going to move forward. I'm going to charge on. When maybe God's revealing something or reminding you of something that you could, you could receive prayer for and it would be a good thing to not just paper over or throw a Bible verse at it, but it's maybe something that God wants to tend to. And it's an opportunity to receive prayer. So I know that we've gone a little bit long, but if you fall into any of those three categories and need prayer, there's people here to my left, to your right, that would love to pray for you, for the rest of us and all of us. We're just gonna pause for a moment and we're gonna take the elements together. Jesus, I thank you that you are the one who knows us. You're the one who created us. You shaped us, you formed us for your good pleasure and to join you in the work that you have in the work that you do. God, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We take it now in remembrance of you and in thanksgiving. Jesus we hold this cup the new covenant of your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of all of our sins so Lord no matter what it is that comes up for us as as people who trust you our sins are forgiven when you reveal things we can face those things we can turn to you we can repent we can find healing we can experience healing from woundedness as well God We, we take this now in remembrance of you Father, thank you for the gift of your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all of these different practices that we can participate in, both physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, all of these things. Thank you for giving us one another to work all these things out together. Lord, we love you. We trust you. I pray a blessing over my brothers and my sisters this week as we process uh, this morning this morning. The things that you're doing in our lives, Lord, teach us. You are our rabbi. You are our teacher. And you can teach us all things. We put our hope in you and we turn to you and we love you. And the church said, amen, amen. Well, we're officially done. If you need to receive prayer, please go ahead and do that. The band's going to continue to play. If you've got kids, go ahead and grab them and uh, go out there and be the church. We love you.